This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Hey, listeners. You know how much I love this thing called podcasting, right? I might have said it one or 500 times on the show. Well, I found a new way to basically share this passion with others, and that's through podcast consulting. Do you have an idea for a podcast you're looking to get off the ground? Well, definitely get in touch because I would love to work with you to take your idea to launch and let you express yourself out in this world we call podcasting. So check it out at glisteningparticlespodcasting.com. So question for you, what happens when you do your first interview at your house in your dining room and your teenage son decides to hang out halfway through the interview and your dog and cat fall in love with the guest and the neighbor decides to start mowing when the windows are open? Well, what you still get is an incredible story with an incredible woman about all the things she's doing to follow her dreams which are pretty expansive and require a lot of time and a little bit of sleep. And with that, here's Shannon. Hey, listeners. Today I'm here with Shannon DeWitt, who is in my dining room, which has never happened before. Well, not that people haven't been here before, (laughs) but it's my first time recording. So it's going to be exciting because things could happen. Let's just put it like that. So I'll let you say hi, Shannon, first, and then we'll talk about what might happen. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Hi, this is Shannon Ewett. Hi, hello, everyone. So um, Shannon is a friend of my brother's. Shannon worked at the company my brother and I worked for for about a year. And the way I heard about Shannon was this. It was Christmas time. <laughs> you know where I'm going on this? Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike called me up and said, hey, um, did you leave a bag on my desk with two jars filled with liquid? <laughs> And I said, uh, no, that's really weird. What I don't know what to tell you. And then after further investigation, the bags came from Shannon. <laughs> so let's start there. What you left for Mike on his desk at Christmas time. Oh, I left I left Mr. Mr. Mike a few nice family presents. So uh, one of the things that I'd like to do to relax, because technology seems to be my life lately, is I like to make interesting wines and beers and spirits every once in a while and what I left for Mike was some brandy and some of my whiskey and he was a little surprised his first reaction was why did you leave this on my desk and the second reaction was how did you get it in here 
Um, and the third reaction was, I can't drink it because I'm on a paleo diet. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, well, you're going to need to drink it soon because if you don't, there's other people who will. Uh, so that's, Mike and I have been working on a project at mm-hmm. the, the company and we, we had been chatting and he was big into coffee and I was very big into doing these types of spirits. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to know how to roast and, and brew some of his coffee. And I said, well, it's very similar to the way that you uh, do malting. And, you know, mm-hmm. if I want to do barley, if I want to do corn, or if I want to do wheat, or if I want to do oats, and I'm going to be smoking everything down. And and so that's how we started chatting. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, for Christmas, I'll just give them a few tastes of some of my... <laughs> I had some nice apple brandy. It was an apple pear brandy. Um, and then it was an aged whiskey that I had done. That was about... I think that was the 12 year. Um, okay. But it's all stuff that I've been doing since I was... Oh, gosh. I've been doing it since I was six years old. My six. Okay, six. wait, wait, wait. We need to back up. So first of all, let's make people really jealous because <laughs> I have in my possession a 16-year whiskey oh. and some smoked rum. Yes. Right? Yes. So yeah, there's going to be fun going on later on around my house, I think, because <laughs> I don't know how long I can resist it. <laughs> yeah. So how does one begin um, distilling at six? Mm. Does that happen around here? <laughs> well, you have to think about the history of, of, of spirits in America. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I really like is I'm a historian. I, I actually went to school. I was going to do history. Mm-hmm. I was going to have fun with it. Um, but I like the history of the mechanics of the things that we do day to day. And now my grandfather, when I was growing up, had this farm. And the thing that he would do is when we were out there, we'd always be able to go hunting and we could go and we'd work in the, in the, um, in the, uh, I call it their garden, but it was actually almost an acre and a half that oh he, he hand took care of himself. Wow. And so as, as kids, all the cousins, we were able to go out to my grandpa's place and, mm-hmm. and he would be like, oh, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And uh-huh. everybody kind of had a job. And my job was to go with grandpa and work the still because nobody else wanted to do it because <laughs> it was boring. Okay. Um, so what's really neat about me is when I was growing up, I never went to the grocery store to buy any kind of alcohol. Uh-huh. The beer was made there. The wine was made there, which usually ended up becoming more brandy than wine. <laughs> um, and then my grandfather made spirits. And he got this from his parents. So mm-hmm. his dad and his dad before him were the ones who kind of did this. Okay. But they actually learned it from the women in the family. Wow. So when you talk about historically between the 1400s, the 1500s, and the 1600s, who actually made the spirits? Mm -hmm. It was the women. So in Scotland, in Ireland, um, in Germany, Mm -hmm. uh, it was the woman of the house who was out there and taking care of the malt house and taking care of the summer kitchen and Mm -hmm. bringing everything in. So none of the other cousins seemed to have an interest in what he was doing. I thought it was the coolest thing that I would go out and see my grandfather, and he had this little tulip still sitting on an open pit, open fire, uh-huh. and he's distilling. And you're looking at that going, wow, that's really cool. And he would leave me to watch it while he went back to work. Oh my and, and, and so I'd be out there, it's the summertime, I'm in the middle of the woods, and I'm doing this, not realizing <laughs> it's completely illegal. Um, figured it out by the time I was about 10. And it could 10. blow up. It could blow up. Twice. Oh, it did. <laughs> 
so we went through two stills. We unfortunately grew up great great grandfather's tulip still, which was really cool. But I have a picture of it that uh -huh. Grandpa gave me. Um, and then he had his own, which looked a little bit like something you would see down in the Ozarks. Uh, you know, if you go down to Kentucky or oh, Tennessee and you talk about white reference. lightning, right. man, it was you walk in and you just see this setup. And my grandfather would always say, "Now, Shanny, this is great for us to be doing, but don't tell anybody." <laughs> Like, well, you always want to hear from your grandpa. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, not even mom, not even mom. Okay. I can do that. Not a problem. So it, it was kind of that fun thing where everybody knew he was doing it. And everybody in the county knew what my grandpa was doing. I always wondered why, you know, big jugs were leaving. <laughs> Yeah, and he, it used to be the, the ceramic jugs is uh -huh. what he had. So he had these beautiful ceramic jugs. And, and then all of a sudden it switched over to the Carlos Rossi wine bottles. Remember those oh, right. big gallon uh -huh. ones? Yeah. Well, that, that stuff would kind of end up in there. <laughs> so it's kind of like the sampling that I gave you. Right. <laughs> two brown beer bottles. Yeah, right? two, 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 um, two baby Heineken bottles. Baby Heineken bottles. Yeah, okay. baby Heineken. So... Yeah, that's. I've been doing it for years. He he basically handed over the recipes that he gave me mm -hmm. for his scotch. His gin is amazing, mm -hmm. and it's not really juniper based. It's it is a little bit of juniper, but it has some acorn and it has some mint in it, and okay. just a good flavor on it. Lots of brandies. I got some great brandy recipes from him. Okay. But most of these all came from, I mean, he can trace some of them back to the 1500s. Oh, my gosh. But most of it comes from Scotland. So hmm. what was interesting is growing up, everybody said, oh, you are German and you are Dutch. And I'm like, okay. My grandfather always said, there's a little scotch in you. And I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it turns out that we are primarily from Germany and from Scotland, the DeWitts originally came from there and the Klugs originally came from mm. there. So I did this lineage crawl a couple of years ago and then I went and got myself tested with Ancestry.com so I could show it to my family, a piece of paper that says, <laughs> see, it's true. This is why I have a temper. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I wish I could, I kind of use that myself, German here. Lots yeah, of German. Lots yeah. of German. Yeah. So I have a question for you just about alcohol spirits to begin with. So sure. um, I don't, these days don't drink very often because I have this theory that you get a certain number of drink cards when you come in and I used most of mine up by 23. <laughs> <laughs> so when I do drink, it's like one or two drinks or whatever and I'm good. But mm -hmm. uh, recently, last fall, I tried whiskey for the first time. Okay. And I didn't have a lot, but it, I don't think my body was happy with it eventually. Like it was like, I wonder, do you get allergies or do they come from different things? So what, what does whiskey come from compared to rum or compared to other spirits? Yes. So that's a really good question. And I'm actually going to use my husband as an example. Okay. So my husband has severe gout. Okay. And for years he's been told no caffeine, mm -hmm. no, um, no alcohol. You can't do this. You can't do this. And I told him, well, that's kind of bull. And I would really <laughs> like you to try some of the things that not only I'm making, but, mm -hmm. um, I've, I've gone out and with my job and different jobs I've worked, I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world and mm -hmm. try a lot of different types of brandies and mm -hmm. whiskeys and, and scotch and, and just really see the differences. And it does come down to when you say your body doesn't like it, mm -hmm. it's, it's your body basically from a molecular level coming in and just saying, I can't process this. Okay. So using my husband as an example, 
he has gout. He was mm -hmm. told you can never have alcohol because it's inflammatory. And that's okay. not true. In the case of gout, it's all about the purines. Right. And it's, right. A, it's about what else you're eating on top of it. Mm -hmm. So I told him, I said, well, what if I gave you a straight barley whiskey uh -huh. that it's just basically water, yeast, and barley, mm -hmm. three ingredients, and I'm going to smoke it. Tell me if you, if you can have that, if you have any problems with it. Okay. And he did. And he goes, I don't have a problem with it. I don't get the headaches. I don't uh -huh. get that swelling that I right. normally have. Right. It doesn't burn. And I said, whiskey should never burn. And he goes, well, yeah, you know, I've had bourbon. I've had <clears throat> Jack and uh -huh. Jim and, you know, some of these other ones. And I said, well, that's because of the cut and the way uh -huh. that they're doing it. So barley is a lot easier when it comes to doing any kind of whiskey or mm -hmm. even a, a bourbon with a corn mask, wick, mix or a, a barley and a rye for mm -hmm. a, a good bourbon mix. It comes down to how you process it and cut it. What oh, I find is a lot okay. of American style whiskeys tend to be more of a less of the heart cut and more of a heads and a tails. Oh, so okay. everybody tries to, they say that they're just taking the heart mm -hmm. and, and they are, but the heart is very small. Okay. So you have to make a lot of runs in order to get pure heart. Okay. Um, so they do a lot of head, which is the first cut. And then they do the tail and they mix that back in with some heart. And then they try to redistill it. Okay. So we don't want the head and we don't want the tail because you're getting methanol in there. Then oh. you might as well just drink rubbing alcohol. Okay. <laughs> you want a good headache? Drink rubbing alcohol. Okay. Um, one of the things that uh, running as a paramedic, you know, we've come upon these people who couldn't mm -hmm. actually go out and even buy cheap liquor anymore. They would be drinking alcohol, rubbing alcohol. Oh, okay. And the way to reverse it was, okay, we're going to have to do this and this and this. And my first thought was, dude, if you were just drinking right. And, and uh -huh. drinking shouldn't be about, and this is where Wisconsin is a little bad. Because everybody comes in and they think you have to drink a lot. Uh -huh. I don't recommend drinking a lot ever. What mm -hmm. I recommend is just drinking smart. Right. So for you, when you say to me, I've tried whiskey and I don't, it, it just doesn't sit well with me. Right. I can already think of about 50 different whiskeys that I would want to sit down with a tasting for you. All at once? All at once. 50, <laughs> 50 different whiskeys. Because you remember, you're not drinking. Can we drinking. record? Can we record while I do that? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> I'm thinking I may need to cut you to 10. <laughs> uh, no, the nice thing about a tasting is it's truly a tasting. Okay. So, um, for example, we have these lovely ball jar glasses in mm -hmm. front of us. You would actually be, with this cover here that you uh -huh. have, it would be a true taste. It okay. would be a dram. Right. And then you would sit and you would work on it. And it's uh -huh. just a sip. So when you have a tasting of um, 10 to 20 to 25 different types of whiskeys, mm -hmm. it's a taste and you're taking a break in between and you're uh -huh. trying it. And then I'll do like what I did to your brother and I'll say, plug your nose and tell me what you taste. And, <laughs> and you're going to be like, what? Plug my nose? It's a very different experience when you're actually tasting something. And it right. doesn't have to be whiskey. I do this with uh -huh. bourbons. I do it with gins. Vodka, I don't expect to have any kind of smell. So if I do give it a nice little nose and I mm -hmm. get some kind of smell off of that, I'm like, that wasn't cut very well. Uh -huh. yeah, you set that to the side. Ah, okay. So it, it, in alcohol of any kind, whether it's beer, wine, um, spirits, mm -hmm. it should be about the experience of being part of it. So mm. you should be able to smell it. Mm -hmm. And you should be, you know, wine, everybody kind of gets that, oh, you're wine, you know, you're smelling mm -hmm. your wine, you're doing it. You should. Uh -huh. You should do this with any type of beverage that you're drinking mm -hmm. because it makes you appreciate it. You know, do you really want to smell soda that's straight sugar and just drink that down? Or do you mm -hmm. want to smell something that kind of awakens past memories for you? You mm -hmm. get vanilla, you get cinnamon, you get 
spice, you get uh, an antiseptic smell, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people say, well, that's the smoke. Mm -hmm. Okay, I am a total smokehead. The more smoke, the better. Mm -hmm. Most people who drink stuff that I like, they go, oh my God, that's like just swallowing a a log. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I happen to like that. I like logs. I do. Um, But in the summertime, I like something a little bit lighter and a little bit easier. So it comes down Mm -hmm. to what's in it. And now when you talk about whiskey or bourbon, um, usually in the United States, you're talking corn and wheat, Mm -hmm. or you're talking corn and barley and rye, or Mm -hmm. it's straight rye, or it's, you know, when you're talking scotch, generally scotch, um, even American scotch Mm -hmm. is going to be just barley, water, and yeast, and that's it. Mm. And my yeast strains actually come from the old country. So they, I have the yeast strain that was used by my grandfather, great, great grandfather. That's incredible. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that, about how, where you source all of your products oh, for your um, distilling. So I do use some local product here. Mm-hmm. So there's a few hop farms in the area for some of the beers that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the grapes and stuff, always used what was out on my grandfather's farm. He had mm-hmm. some beautiful vineyards and we would use those fresh. Uh, but when it comes to my spirits, I tend to source out of country. Okay. So I, most of my barley comes right from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of some really good Scottish brews and there's, oh, there's a really good one. It's called Einstock out of Iceland. Okay. If you ever have a chance, um, the Einstock and the Bellhaven. Bellhaven is Scotch, and Einstock is going to be Icelandic. But their barley, because mm-hmm. of the ground and mm-hmm. the type of soil that they have out of there, is mm-hmm. completely different from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And the only place I've been able to really kind of replicate that barley mm-hmm. is when I get into rockier peatier, boggier areas. So up north here mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, there's a few spots. Hmm. Canada, actually, when you go up to Canada for some of their peat areas and some of their bogs, that's a good spot to kind of find that. And then the grains that build around it. But when you talk about the grains that are being produced here in the United States, uh, southern Wisconsin, Iowa, Minneapolis, you know, the, the mm-hmm. area, Think about all the chemical that is going right. into the ground right now, all the, the the crap that we have been feeding into the ground for mm-hmm. the past 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. You really don't want to grow your grain on anything that has ever been grown for anything else before. Mm-hmm. What I like about getting everything from Scotland is I know it's good grain. It's mm-hmm. the right row, and it's going to give me both the taste and the texture mm-hmm. from the soil that I've gotten used to. Not saying that my grandfather did that. My grandfather actually got everything that was local, and it came from the Dodge and Club. So Dodge County, Jefferson mm-hmm. County area. But I'll never forget this. So my grandfather had his own smokehouse, and okay. he would make his own head cheese, and he did everything. You know, wow. we he he was so cool. I would, everybody should have had a Victor in their life, <laughs> and. Uh, I remember he he tried to do an old cooking process where uh-huh. you basically you dig a hole in the ground and you cook the meat through and mm-hmm. you put the coals down in there. And he had went and he bought a couple hands from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And he pulled them out and they were completely rotten. Wow. And it was because of all the chemical in the pig. Oh. So the only way he was ever able to do some of those old recipes that they used to do for curing and smoking mm-hmm. and for cooking in the ground was he had to raise his own animals. Hmm. He had to feed them organically. And then when he would try to get animals from some of the other farmers who were feeding, you know, pushing in all the, mm-hmm. the drugs and the antibiotics mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, the meat was just terrible. And, and I think that the neatest thing I learned from him was, 
pork. Mm-hmm. Pork that we eat right now mm-hmm. is terrible. I, I would much rather go down south, get a wild boar, and bring it back and eat on that for a year mm-hmm. than eat anything that I pick up in the grocery stores mm-hmm. right now. And and when we talk about sourcing and bringing in product, mm-hmm. you know, the mint, if I'm going to grow the mint or if I'm going to use mint, I grow it and I know exactly where, where the dirt is, how I'm getting it, where it's coming from. Um, if I'm getting my barley, I know mm-hmm. there's really no good place in the immediate area. So I've got a friend who owns a distillery in Scotland mm-hmm. and he just sends it on over. Now, I'm paying 10 times what I would. Mm-hmm. But once you taste that, you're going to understand why that's a better product. Mm-hmm. There are times where I've said, oh, I'm just going to go buy a distillery in Scotland and live there forever. <laughs> <laughs> but, so why haven't you done that? That sounds like a good plan. I like that plan because uh, then I have some place to go see. Well, I, uh, <laughs> so um, I would. I would do that in a heartbeat. I would I would move to Scotland. Um, part of it is getting my dogs over there. Oh, right. Tell So your dogs, talk about those. Oh, so... Okay, I should... Wait, before you do that, I should yeah. mention, there's no way that in one hour we will even touch the surface of what Shannon does in her life. Okay, so we're going to do... We're just going to keep jumping. We're going to keep topic jumping, and we'll probably get through 10, maybe, <laughs> if we're lucky. Although we spent 20 on the first one, so maybe not 10. I'll but, talk faster. <laughs> but really, it's like talking with you is like... Um, it's like talking with a crowd, because you've done so, you do so many things in your life that it, that are more than any one person I've ever heard of doing. And what's so cool about you, to me, is that you have expertise in every one of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like you me- do mediocre whiskey or you do mediocre, you know, the other things we'll talk about. It's like all in. Oh yeah, the best it can be. Mm-hmm. So. Let's talk about the dogs. (laughs) All right. So I've always had dogs when I was Mm -hmm. growing up. In fact, um, when I was younger, at one point, I had about, I've had a lot of different pets and animals when I was growing up. And one of the things I always wanted was an Alaskan Malamute, but more specifically a wolf. They're always my favorite, too. Oh, I want a wolf, too. I've I've always wanted a wolf. And and part of that is because of me. So my name is Shannon. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to Ireland and Scotland, there is a Mm -hmm. goddess who is named for Shannon for Mm -hmm. the river. And in Irish lore and Scottish lore, she's the goddess of the moon, which then if you go back, ties into the Greek god Diana and the Roman and Greek god Diana and Artemis. And you can keep going backwards. Mm -hmm. And... I've always felt that it, I blame my father. He got me totally <laughs> addicted to studying anything but like real religion. I had to study all the other religions of the world and, and the gods always amazed me. I was mm-hmm. just like, wow, that's so cool. But I've always had this affinity for wolves, okay. you know, so me too. It, just, it, it was like, I could feel it's just something that I enjoyed. Did, did research on them, mm-hmm. learned about them Anytime in California, I go to the rescue. Yes, you do. There. I was going to mention mm-hmm. that you've been there. Yes. <gasps> I want to go there. Well, it's going to happen. We'll get yes. there. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, I always thought that I couldn't have a real wolf wolf here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So the next best thing would be Alaskan Malamutes. Mm-hmm. Not huskies because they're just too small. And <laughs> I wanted something that kind of matched me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to like being outdoors, do a mm-hmm. lot of hiking, 
Um, my husband and I did powerlifting for a long time. We both played football. I mean, we're just very physical people. So I said, I want to get an Alaska Malamute. Mm-hmm. And we bought one, and mm-hmm. his name was Goliath. Oh. And he was, <laughs> oh, he's such a sweet old soul. I, he, he broke my heart when he passed. Um, we bought one. And then we've rescued ever since. We've never actually purchased another Malamute since then. Because what happened is, is we got Goliath. And he was a puka. Oh, he's so sweet. Um, His sister, when we were were up in Wisconsin Rapids, Mm -hmm. and she had a litter of about 12. It was Brandywine Kennels. And Mike picked out Goliath. And I actually picked out Mika. Uh But Mike's like, oh, let's go with her. You know, we'll we'll go with Goliath. Okay, Uh fine. Well, about six months later, we got a phone call, and mm-hmm. they asked, it was the breeder saying, by any chance, could you go and rescue Mika? Um, she was the other puppy that you guys were looking at, and the owners are getting a divorce. Oh, okay. And it was people that Mike knew since he was a police officer down in the Evansville area. Oh, nice. So, and he's oh. like... Crazy. Uh, crazy, I know. Yeah. And he knew the husband and he knew the wife. And he goes, we are going immediately because I know <laughs> the husband. And he was like straight business. I'm uh-huh. going, okay. So we go down there and here's Mika. She just looked anorexic. And Aww. I'm just like, oh, you poor thing. Don't you feed her? And well, she runs away and blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't have a fence. Well, yeah, but she has a, she shouldn't run away. She's got an electric collar. Okay, rule number one, Malamutes, straight line runners. <laughs> they they may act like they're listening to you, but mm-hmm. they're very much like wolves. They, they're going to have their own pack order and their own mm-hmm. hierarchy. And it was obvious that Mika didn't respect anybody in the household. Okay. And she had made herself in charge of the household. Ah. So Mika was taking off on him. Right. So we ended up bringing Mika in. And since then, uh, this was uh, 1992, mm-hmm. 93. Uh, since, no, 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 98, 1998. Since then, we've rescued a total of about 32 Malamutes. <gasps> what? And this is across the U.S. Oh, so my gosh. Part of traveling when I was working with different uh, companies and doing IT consulting and stuff like that was <laughs> I got to stay overnight in different uh-huh. cities and do different things. And I was always like, I'm going to go check out the local Malamute rescue and see what's there. Are you serious? Yeah. So what did you do with all, Do you, Have you kept all of them or have you rescued and rehomed them? So or? rescue and rehome primarily. Okay. Okay. A lot of times. I find the Malamutes that have been kenneled most of their life Mm -hmm. so that you need to get them housebroken, kind of socialize them again, Mm -hmm. get them out. Um, The ones that stay with me are Mm -hmm. either they're just so sick, there's just no way they're going to go. So they're forever homed with me. Or they're the geriatric ones. I went up to a kennel in northern Wisconsin Mm -hmm. and the guy basically said, well, I've got these two dogs and I'm going to I have to take them out back and shoot them because they're no good anymore. They're not <gasps> running. Oh. And he made the mistake of saying this to a friend of mine. Uh-huh. And she called me up. So mm-hmm. Mike and I did a seven and a half hour drive, went up there, brought the police. And basically, he's no longer, he doesn't have his kennel anymore. And we ended up rehoming about 32 Malamutes. Oh, my god! We took five of them. And then... Um, Taku and Tally were the two that stayed with us the longest mm-hmm. because they were so... There was no way to rehone them. Mm-hmm. So, and they were very sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tally ended up having just a huge, um, she had sarcoma mm-hmm. and it was pushing literally out through her skull. So oh. we made her as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, uh, Taku, the same thing. Mm-hmm. We made him as comfortable as possible. I, I can tell you that I have no retirement. I have no savings because every time I get any kind of savings, I get a sick Malamute and that's oh. usually like thirty to $100,000. 
just to help the Malamute. Oh my gosh. I do that every single time. Wow. So you, you wonder why I don't have a distillery yet. It's okay. because I keep paying for sick Malamutes. <laughs> that's, and somehow I think that's giving you some, uh, Oh, I do huge it. Angel force hanging in there with you. I got you know a lot I mean? of dogs on my back. I'm, I'm pretty good with right. that. So um, how many do you have at your home right now? Two. Okay. So at any given time within our house, we only have an acre. Mm-hmm. It's completely fenced in. Um, and we usually house between two to four. Okay. We are definitely at our limit right now because the past four times we've rescued what are called very large Alaskan Malamutes. Mm-hmm. Um, some call them Wakehunts, some call them West Coast Malamutes. Most people, when we walk Duke and Cinder down the street, they look at Duke and they go, oh, my God, that's a wolf. You're mm-hmm. not too far off. He mm-hmm. really is half wolf. Oh. He's very big. If he was sitting in here right now, he's he's the size of a small horse. Oh, my gosh. So if, if he was sitting next to me, the top of his head would be here. And Seriously? Be, yeah, he's that big. Okay, so she's motioning like if he was sitting next to her, they'd be eye to eye, more or less. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And now wow. imagine that sitting on you every night, <laughs> which he does. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I really need to meet them. Are they, are they happy meeting people? Oh, they're very happy meeting people. Okay. I was going to bring Duke actually, but oh. he would have been a handful and he would have taken over the whole house. So, <laughs> and I knew you had kitties and yeah. puppies. So I was like, ah, we'll just wait. So okay. I will, I will we'll um, have to meet at the trail. Yes. Yeah. We'll meet out at Glacial Drumlin and we'll, okay. you can intro and I'll send you pictures. So I would love to do, do that. that. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. I mean, mm. how many? So you've rehomed 30? About 32 so far. 32. And then we've kept a total of, let's see, Boris, Duke, Goliath, Jenny. <laughs> I love these names. Yeah. Boris. Boris was fun. He was a Milwaukee rescue. <laughs> he was interesting. So we've, we've had a total of uh, 12 mm-hmm. that we forever homed with us, okay. and then 32 total that we rehomed. And I think uh, what was new to me was about the temperature and how you accommodate them so that they're happiest. And that, so talk about that a little bit. So our house is kept usually in the summertime. So Wisconsin can be very hot, very humid. Mm -hmm. And we'll have the air conditioning running between 55 and 60 for them year during the summertime. Mm -hmm. And then in the winter we turn the heat off and what we have is a wood burning stove. Mm -hmm. And we, we basically let the wood burning stove kind of heat the majority of the house. And we really don't turn our gas on till maybe December, (laughs) right around Christmas. Mm -hmm. Because the boys really like it where it's about 30 to 40. Uh So the minute they start panting in the house, we know it's too warm Uh and we have to cut back. So amazing. Yeah. And that's commitment. It is. But (laughs) it's funny when other people, we we know how cold the house is. So we tend to layer up and Mm -hmm. then other people come and visit and they're like, God, it's cold. Go go sit by the fire. You'll be fine. (laughs) I know we were sitting here and I'm already closing the window because it's getting a little bit cool in the, in the dining room. And she's like, yeah, we're going to be good. So, um, let's see here. You also mentioned, I believe, along the way here, EMT. So you did some Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit, that aside from having this tech degree and distillery and rescuing animals, there's this whole, like, what else do you do? So to to clarify, I don't have my my primary job right now and has been my primary job since 1999 has been technology. So I started out with a uh, client server, a lot of mm-hmm. infrastructure and backend, developed software, audio and mm-hmm. video software. Um, and I've always been in technology. That has always paid the bills. Mm-hmm. And um, right now I'm doing a lot of cloud integration. I'm working with a really cool company that's doing some amazing IoT 
um, and I'm not going to name them, but let's just say the reason I'm interested in it Mm -hmm. is because the tech is finally kind of aligning with my fire and my EMS. Mm. Um, And I like working with companies where I use my, my nursing and my fire and all that skill to, to kind of come back to the tech. So Mm -hmm. I think you have to be, if you're into doing nursing or EMT or anything that has to do with healthcare in general, Mm -hmm. and you get down to the body, everything's an engine. So if I can understand how the wiring of a human body works, I can understand how the wiring of a car works. I can understand how the wiring of an engine works. I can understand how the wiring for electronics goes. Mm -hmm. Everything is just a motor that you have to figure out how it works. Mm -hmm. So I tangented. Uh, EMT. (laughs) That's going to keep happening. Yeah, well, (laughs) um, when I left high school and I went to school, it was originally for uh, fine arts. Mm -hmm. And I was working for an insurance company at that point. So I was going full-time to school and I was working full-time at the Mm -hmm. same time. And I was also coaching football. So (laughs) I had started to coach high school football. And on the sidelines, they were always looking for athletic trainers. And I'm like, well, I can do that. I'll go get an athletic training certification. And then I can coach and be a trainer. And so I did. I got my athletic trainer, and I don't sleep at all. I, I was going to say, I have, like, I have one degree, so go on. <laughs> I just get bored. Um, and I read all the time because I don't yeah. sleep. Okay. So I said, well, I'm going to go back to school and get my paramedic. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to do that, then I should probably stop running technology for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go into doing fire as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't just that that did it. What happened was 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I'm wasting what I could do full time to really help people sitting behind a computer all day mm-hmm. long, where at night mm-hmm. I go out and I'm I'm doing this stuff with high schools and I'm doing this stuff for fire and I'm doing this stuff for EMS. Why don't I just go all in mm-hmm. and do it full time? And I did mm-hmm. for about five years. And then I hit the critical care paramedic and I was like, OK, I really need to do something else. I want to do med flight. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to do med flight. I know how to fly. Mm-hmm. I was taught how to fly when I was younger, and I took um. Wait, wait, wait. Who? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, wish we were videoing this because I think my expressions would be pretty entertaining. <laughs> she, her face just kind of went what? Because <laughs> that one didn't come past me yet. That, that particular one. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about a little bit on that on the sideline as to who taught me how to fly. But um, I learned how to fly when I was little, and then I had an uncle who had me jumping out of airplanes by the time I was ten, and I loved it. It was so much fun, even though I'm terrified of heights terrified of heights, but as long as I'm holding on to something, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you were holding on to your uncle? (laughs) No, Mm -hmm. I had a parachute, so I had something to hold on to. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Uh, but anyways, um, when I, as a paramedic, I thought I really want to run critical care. And I said, you know, I've got my, my airplane license, you know, could I do this? Well, we really need somebody who can fly a helicopter. I don't know how to fly a helicopter, but I'll learn. Where can I go to learn? So I went and I, I took courses to fly the helicopter. Do you literally know how to fly a helicopter? I run MedFlight, Madison, Get out. and Milwaukee. Get out. Didn't Mike tell you this? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, my God. So Is this like for real? Is there? Am I being punked here? No. Is there like- <laughs> so now I haven't, I have, since I got sick, I haven't been able to run for about oh, a year or two years now. Mm-hmm. But... Um, 
I did, so I would run the different med flights in the area, but I had my critical care paramedic, and if I wasn't actually flying, then I would end up being the RN who was riding along, so I had to go back and get my RN. And then when I had that, I'm like, you know, there's still just not enough. I still don't know enough. You know, it's it's like having a toolkit, mm-hmm. and you go in and you think you have a really good toolkit, and you mm-hmm. can kind of, you can take care of it, and then you find out that you're, 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 band-aids and stuff aren't enough and you need to go to blood clotting and all this other stuff uh-huh. so yeah um yeah i thought mike told you that's so i did funny. not know about that yeah so that this is um that's one of the things when i was working with mike <laughs> is i would come in and i'm like well i'm running milwaukee tonight and and they're like wait are you still doing stuff while you're working here full time right i know like, that's how I heard, I heard that too he was yeah. like wait a second so just uh, if you hear a male laughing in the background or commenting, my son Joe is hanging out with us for this live recording. Hey, Joe. Hi. All right. <laughs> Joe's a cool dude. like him. <laughs> and when he heard that Shannon, uh, some of the things that she did as she was introducing herself, I said, yeah, you can come hang out if you want. <laughs> so we were at the, so she flies helicopter for med flight, Joe. She flies helicopter. I don't know if you heard that. What next? So you wanted you wanted to know why I became the EMT, and the whole idea of all of that kind of came around to I always wanted to know more, mm-hmm. and I was working full time fire and EMS at that point. Uh-huh. I was I had just been accepted to school for um, to be a physician's assistant for orthopedic surgery. I was completely geeked. <laughs> ready to go back to school again one more time and then I'd be running full time and doing internship at the UW. And this is like and, six or seven degrees or certificates in already. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the cool thing about school is you never stop learning. Right. So I I, I hear about people who go to school, they get a four year degree and they're like, Oh, I'm done. And I just find that I went back to school for distilling, even though I Mm. grew up doing it when Mm. I was, so I had to work in Germany for a year or two. I had to work in the UK for a year or two for uh, Trek bicycles. Okay. Oh, cool. So you worked for Trek too? I did. You've lived like... I don't sleep five lives. I she have. literally doesn't sleep. I'm, we'll have to talk about that at some point so people understand that, that you're not even kidding. <laughs> um, well, your yeah. brother can't believe I stay awake. So, <laughs> Well, he tries to like be like you and not sleep, but it's not working for no, him. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him at work. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, he's a zombie boy right yeah. now. So, uh, okay. So where were we at? I'm trying to follow. So then... Orthopedic. Yeah. So I did was. Did you go to school for that? Though? I did. I was six months into it. And then what happened was I was on a run and we were bringing a patient into the emergency room and we had to move the patient once we got the patient into the emergency room. But the patient weighed probably about 450, 500 pounds. Mm-hmm. And the person who was supposed to help me move the patient decided that he didn't want to. Oh, so I ended up basically moving this patient myself. And what I heard was a snap and I went to the ground. And what had happened is I had evulsed my spinal cord in the emergency room. But I didn't realize how bad it was because I was in such shock and pain. I basically just I got my crew to get me back up to get me to the get me to the ambulance. I said, take me back. They took me back to the station, and I said, I'm just going to go home. I got home. I told Mike, I'm going to lay on the floor. I need a big bag of ice just to lay on my back. Uh-huh. Um, I have a very high pain tolerance. I was going to say, yeah, that would not have been me yeah. in that situation. Yeah, so I, we're all clear. I would have been 
screaming. It, yeah, in my family, it, unless it was like gushing and bleeding <laughs> and you were on the brink of death, then you went to the doctor. Okay. Me becoming a paramedic and a nurse and doing all this other stuff has just made it hell for all of my doctors because <laughs> I don't believe anything they say. Uh, but anyways, I hurt myself. And then the next morning, I couldn't get up. Oh. And I told my husband, you need to take me back to the emergency room because I think I'm in problem. I'm, I'm in trouble here. He goes, well, I'll call the, I'll call the ambulance. I said, please don't call them. They'll take me to Columbus to die. <laughs> Just take me right to Fort Atkinson. So I'll be fine. Um, and when we got there, it turned out it was a spinal equian caudal system, which is a fancy term that says my spinal cord basically popped out. So the spinal cord popped out between my S1 and my L5 and went out and had become compressed. And okay, so got I, it. everything below me was basically numb. Wow. I couldn't feel it. Wow. Mike thought the coolest thing was that for about a week he could stick pins in me and I was just looking, <laughs> mm-hmm. You just wait till I get my feeling back. It's amazing though that they were able to take care of that and you're fine. Well, what helped was because I went home and I stretched my back uh-huh. and it kind of went back in, oh, but not okay. completely. And then when I got there, instead of doing surgery, they did something different. We did it, it was a stretch. Like traction? Like the rack. Oh, Think about the so rack. Cool. Oh, it was so cool. <laughs> it was kind of like that. And they basically ended up stretching. and Enough and it was, to let it go back. Yep. Oh, and so cool. there was minor surgery that they had to do on it. Mm-hmm. And um, two and a half weeks later, I was actually allowed to go home. And then a week after that, I was back running full time, wow. even though I wasn't supposed to be, but uh-huh. I went back because I could do stuff still in the station. I just couldn't actually do the runs. Right. Um, but after that happened, I told Mike, I said, yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to run fire in EMS for a while. They're mm-hmm. telling me that I may never be able to run again or anything. Mm-hmm. So I went back to technology mm-hmm. and playing football. <laughs> Because you should always play football after a spinal injury. Oh, yeah. It, it yeah. was the spinal, it was the spine that was injured. Everything else would be fine. But it, I needed something to give me a little bit of initiative to work out, to get back into shape, and something besides, you know, at that time we had the, the Malamutes. So mm-hmm. Alaskan Malamutes need to be walked at least 10 to 15 miles a day or they destroy your house because oh, they're bored. Okay. So, yeah. So had to get back into shape fast, right. but I couldn't carry around as a firefighter. You're usually carrying about 125 pounds of gear at any given mm-hmm. point. You have to be able to carry other people, um, even flying. And, and that's why for med flight, I was doing more flying than I was actually doing patient care at that point. Mm-hmm. It's just, I could still do stuff, but there were some things I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So now you also were a power lifter. Yes. Right. At some point. Tell us about that. Um, that's actually one of the things that helped me the most because mm-hmm. when I got injured and this happened, I had enough mass around me that they were able to manipulate and move with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did powerlifting between 1994 and 2006. Uh, I still do it on and off, mm-hmm. but I've had to take the last three years off because I got sick. Mm-hmm. Well, five years off yeah, in between. I try to I, I try to get back to it, and then right. stuff happens. Um, but powerlifting is fun. So mm-hmm. it's 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 a functional way that you it makes you think and it makes you stay focused, mm-hmm. but you can also compete with it. Um, and it gives you this just really good resistance and strength. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, I always wanted the goal of, I want to be able to bench more than my husband. Well, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen because the guy has no arms. So <laughs> it's like he moves the bar about four inches and he's, he's locked out. So he's like a T-Rex. He's like a T-Rex and you know, he's short arms. <laughs> Big head, big legs, big chest. 
Arms totally like a T-Rex. Does he have a tail? He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he can't touch his shoulders, which is even funnier. <laughs> what, so, really? Yeah. So you know how so you know how you can touch your shoulder if you put your arm out and you yeah. touch your shoulder? <laughs> yeah, Mike can't. He stops right there. And when he's lifting, oh my gosh. this is as far as he can go. When he's not lifting, he can kind of get that close and that's about <laughs> it. So, <laughs> and when he eats, he's so funny because he's this big guy and he's just doing this. Um, but I did the powerlifting because I, I needed to get into shape in order to do fire and mm-hmm. be able to haul all that equipment. And all my friends, after I started doing powerlifting, used to call me up and say, hey, we're moving. Can you come over and help? <laughs> and I can remember strapping a refrigerator on and helping to kind of get that down on a floor. And I look back at that 15 years ago with mm-hmm. stuff that Mike and I used to move all the time. I'm like, there's no way in we'd be able to do that anymore. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't yeah. know that was what power lifters did as side jobs. You know? Oh, yeah. We're all around. That's um, what I need to look for, for some of that stuff from the basement. <laughs> well, the stuff that would actually be fun for you, and mm-hmm. I'm getting into this, and it's it's because of something that a gal at um, work said. Mm-hmm. She goes, you know, you'd be great for that show, the Ninja Warrior. And I'm like, oh, I should do it. I'm terrified of heights, but what the hell? That would be fun. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to try to build like a mini one. Are you serious? Yeah, we're going to try to build a mini gym. Um, and this is kind of why we were looking at different locations. And mm-hmm. I was looking for a farm because I'd love to be able to do that. I think that would be the coolest thing in the world <laughs> at my age to be able to do some of that stuff. And then when you're watching the show, they're just like, oh, these 20-year-olds and this guy is 45. And I'm like, oh, screw that. I can do it. <laughs> How hard? I can jump out of airplanes. <laughs> right. When you were like 10. Yeah. So... Is that the thing? Is the Ninja Warrior like where they jump over like the big pits of things? And okay, yeah, it's I all was... it's all functional training, okay. and it's it's for me. So go back to the EMT side for a bit. Devil's Lake. Mm-hmm. So I I worked with Baraboo for a couple of years with their rope rescue team, mm-hmm. and I had really good experience doing free climbing because I free climbed out in California. Um, I did climbing in Colorado and then when here in the states or in Wisconsin, it was a lot of climbing up at mm-hmm. Devil's Lake. And you just can't, it's, that's a different type of strength than I can pick up a bar and I can bench it, you know, oh, five totally. times. Because it's a full body versus. It's full body right, strength. So right. that's kind of what I think is cool about Ninja Warrior yes. is it, it's really working in gymnastics and it's working in um, athletics mm-hmm. and track and field and you can be any type of athlete and mm-hmm. still be able to compete and it doesn't matter what age you are. Mm-hmm. that's cool. I, I, I think it's a very universal sport and watching the kids that are growing up and doing it. So, right. you know, you say you've done everything. I haven't done that yet. I'm going. <laughs> well, I'm you're going to. See, that's the thing that gets me. You just have a quest for it. You know that old NFL players basically go into hockey after they retire? Oh. Because hockey's easier on the joints. Wow. I didn't know that. And see, I love hockey. I can't skate to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> so they always stick me in the goalie position. <laughs> Um, but if I could ever learn how to do it, it's actually a great way to keep your joints loose. It's like doing yoga. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, you know, hmm. I, I can remember taking some of the college guys at UW because uh, I did some uh, TA assistant for UW Whitewater and taking him through a yoga class. And the football player's like, oh, so it's going to be easy. Yeah, tell me that after an hour. <laughs> and then you just see him just pouring sweat and I'm like it's not that easy is it poses exactly yeah so functional it's it's a it and it's not just about the body it's the mind connection Mm -hmm. so when you're doing functional training it's about mind because as an EMT when you're in the back of the rig or Mm -hmm. if you're 
up in a helicopter and you've got somebody's life there, you have to be calm. Mm -hmm. So you have to have physical strength as well as mental strength. And you have to really go, I just have to detach at this point. Mm -hmm. And I can detach for just about anything except for when my dogs get sick and Mm -hmm. then I'm a total mess. I'm a hot mess. Totally admit it. I lose it. I'm really good in the moment. But either they it, everything passes and they're they're taken care of, and then I can go and I have mm-hmm. a meltdown. Humans are easy. It, it doesn't. It can be somebody <laughs> I know. It can be somebody I don't know. I, I I can totally take care of them. But when it comes to mm. specifically my dogs, uh-huh. so I wanted to see if we could talk a little bit about um, how you really have how you keep this quest of more. Is this just who you are? Is this how we like of always wanting to learn and experiment and go after things like how did you get that were you born that way Uh, I was born bored (laughs) I I really was my my grandfather called me a perpetual motion machine Hmm. and he said that there were two words that described me and it was absence and desire Hmm. and I, I never really got that mm-hmm. until I got a little bit older mm-hmm. because people have desire, but they don't have the desire to sometimes see things all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I've always been curious about things. But what makes me very curious is when somebody says, you can't do that and this is why. Oh, yeah. That's a big one for So me you, too. you've yeah. got that when somebody comes and says, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't be interested in doing whiskey because you're a girl. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Here's, <laughs> here's the facts, dude. This is why <laughs> I'm probably better qualified for this than mm-hmm. you are. Um, all the stuff I've done is because I really enjoy it. But inherently, I like taking care of people. So the reason mm-hmm. I like wolves is because I like the pack mentality. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that I can work with people. I can teach them something new. We can have fun. Um, and me here is very different from, and doing the things that I love is mm-hmm. very different from the way I am in the technical world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your brother was really surprised because I'm very driven with anytime I'm doing technology. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Everything is in order, and this is how we need to do it. But everything that I do, I always think 360. And mm-hmm. if you think 360, it's how can I make it better? Mm. It's never. It should never be enough. It should never be enough that you're where you are. At, it's where you are at in your life right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. because there's always something there. You, just because you're doing one thing now doesn't mean that you can't do a number of things in five days, 10 days, or mm-hmm. 10 years. There should always be something different that's going to keep you intrigued and to let you try it. Mm-hmm. And I think about my grandfather. He started, he took up woodworking when he was 72. Wow. And he went all in. The dude had all the equipment <laughs> you could think of. And everybody in the family is like, oh, you know, he's just, you know, he's filling all this stuff up and he, he's buying all this equipment and he really needs to retire. I don't ever want to retire. That's how I am. I'm like, well, I don't yeah. even want that word. No, I don't. I, yeah. First off, I don't have any retirement money. So eh. <laughs> um, I, I always want to be the person who's going out and doing something that other people wish that they could do. And then I'm going to say, if I can do it, why can't you? Mm-hmm. And I've always been told, well, you can't do this because. And my philosophy is you should do it because. Ah, yeah, I, I just, I, I would much rather see people attempt it and fail because right. that's how you learn. Mm-hmm. How do you know you're not going to be good at something unless you try it? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to be terrified to walk into a room, I, I mean, I'll tell you when you asked me to do this, this mm-hmm. is the most terrifying thing I've done probably in the past few years. It's, I know I'm very scary. I've been told that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the one-on-one. Oh yeah. Yeah. My thing is I don't like to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, take for example, when I got married, mm-hmm. um, I, I barely made it through the whole being and standing up there thing. And then when it came time to go and do the, the, uh, the cake, no, just the whole dinner and oh, the, reception? The, the reception and stuff. I hid out basically. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I went into the kitchen cafeteria of the place that we had rented uh-huh. and Mike had to go out there and basically deal with all the guests and everybody. And there was like, where is Shannon? And shouldn't she be out here? I was sitting next to a keg <laughs> with a couple of other guys and we were sitting there drinking. It's kind of like when um, we do go out and we mm-hmm. do groups and, and stuff. And Mike used to always drag me to all of his relatives' uh, mm-hmm. weddings and stuff, I would go and find all the husbands who didn't want to dance, and I would be sitting with them drinking <laughs> beer, and Mike would be out on the floor because he's, he's actually a dance instructor. Oh, really? So this is what's funny. What? Yeah. T-Rex? He, yeah, T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, he, great dance instructor. So we both did theater for a long time, and I did straight. I, I never wanted to do musicals because then you'd have to dance and all this other stuff. <laughs> And I met him because of production of Brigadoon, and I was forced to dance. And I'm like, fine. (laughs) And then he's like, you're a really good dancer. You're really good at this. Shut it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't dance. (laughs) Um, And and for theater, when you're on stage, it's not you. You're a complete Mm -hmm. character. So I, I don't really like the attention on me. Mm. I love the attention when we can spread it across the room and mm-hmm. we can all talk. I think the only time I like the attention on me is when I'm working in technology mm-hmm. and I just want people to do their job mm-hmm. because the sooner they do their job, the mm-hmm. sooner I can go home <laughs> and see my dogs. <laughs> right. So You know, you've got such an, an interesting balance of focuses in your life. You've got mm-hmm. technology, super left brain. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, your animals and sort of like when you look at distilling and the other things you've talked about there's this like creativity involved in yep. that even though there is some science behind it ah. and then all of this like healthcare, it's like such a really broad spectrum of interest i think that's a beautiful life that you've yeah. created to really go so many directions people often kind of take a narrow road they're like i am this and this yeah. is, i'll look for for lots of things about like if they were in theater i'll do lots of things in theater but it's all theater mm-hmm. You know, I think it's an amazing example of ways to do many different things at the same time. I mean, some people still need to sleep, though, so there is that. <laughs> oh, the, alchemy. Right. Life should be about alchemy. Mm-hmm. Alchemy is the perfect balance of real life, science, and magic. Oh, I like that. It is. And I grew up, so... I grew up with a neighbor who was a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. Uh-huh. And I grew up reading fantasy and mm-hmm. adventure and horror, tons of horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I kind of worked into different things that I read and I got more historical fictions. And mm-hmm. I'm one of those weird people who likes to read textbooks. Um, mm-hmm. I can remember having interns going, I'm done with my textbook. I'm going to have to sell it off. I'll give you five bucks for it. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I have like an entire basement that's full of textbooks and I'll just textbooks, textbooks and everything you can think of, philosophy, psychology, anything. 
Hmm. I, I'm a magpie when it comes to books. I've always wanted one of those big, huge libraries, mm-hmm. and I didn't care what was in them as long as it was a big, huge library, and I could like grab a book and go, "Wow, this looks good," and it's mine, <laughs> and I could go around on a ladder. It'd be fun. That does sound fun. I saw a whiskey library though, like that, that has the ladder. So we'll do that uh, when we hit Portland. Oh, we are so <laughs> hitting Portland. I can't wait. I know. Um, but I think that if if you treat life more like it's an adventure. And that it is, it should be very alchemic. It mm. should, life is about kind of real life. And then it's about the magic that it can be. And then it's about how those two should blend. And mm. that's, that's exciting. So I think that's why I'm a little strange because I've, I've had a really weird childhood growing up. I, I was influenced by some amazing people, mm-hmm. by some amazing teachers. And then I was just kind of allowed to do whatever I wanted mm-hmm. to. You know, and being told that at six years old, yeah, go ahead, just watch the still, you know? <laughs> and when it explodes, that's a little like, wow, okay, cause and effect. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what a still is, Joe? It's where they uh, distill whiskey or, or alcohol. So it's like hot under a fire and glass, right? Um, I'll show you a few pictures. I'll actually show you what one of my stills look like and then kind of the one that I blew up. Think of it like <laughs> this mic stand here. And it's a pot. It's a metal pot, and then it comes up, and it has a, a little bit of a spigot and a power a tower, and then it has a parrot that comes off. And so you put your mash in here, or your wort, once it's been done, and you let it cook. And then it's the water from the distillation that comes up, gets collected in the parrot, and then drops down, and then it forms the alcohol. That's the distillate. That's mm-hmm. what we want to drink. But we don't necessarily want to drink what first comes out. We want to drink what's usually 50% through on the process. And it all depends upon the equipment and what you're doing and how mm-hmm. you're using it. But in the case of the original pot still, <laughs> um, you basically waited about an hour into the process. Oh. <laughs> and then you could cut and you'd get about eight of these. And then he'd be done, and then the rest would come and drain out. And then he would use the what was left over. He, uh, like grandfather used the heads and the tails to basically clean the grills. Oh, yeah, wow. it's just like it, when you're because he had a you use oh, everything. Use everything. He had a home light shop after the farm kind of went away. Mm-hmm. And so you had to degrease stuff. And boy, mm-hmm. that stuff worked great at degreasing. <laughs> <laughs> so it got used. <laughs> so tell me this what is your next thing that you have like? out there that you're going after that you want to learn or do differently or new oh i want to live in a castle i live in a castle that's that's a fantasy quest yeah so how's that going well i found a castle i actually found a castle right here in jefferson county (laughs) there's another one in dodge but i had no idea that castles existed in jefferson county wisconsin either did did i did you know that joe no. Yeah, it's literally a hop, skip, and a jump away from you. Um, I would love to own that castle, but I'm not going to pay what they want for that castle. Ah, okay. So it's not going to happen. I think the next step for me is I want to go and take, much like I did with EM, EMS and, mm-hmm. and fire, where I took a passion and I turned it into a full-time job, mm-hmm. I want to see if I can actually go into distilling. Mm-hmm. But it's not just distilling. Mm-hmm. I, I love beer. <laughs> Wisconsin girl. Um, and I like sours. Sours are my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some of my grandmother's old vinegar recipes that are mm-hmm. just amazing. Um, I'd like to kind of do that. Mm. And I think part of that is because 
people can come into a, a tap room or a restaurant and I want them to have that feeling of home that I've mm-hmm. had at some of these places that I've visited where you could come in and sit down mm-hmm. on a long table mm-hmm. and absolutely relax and just have fun. Mm-hmm. And it's not about a bunch of people coming in and listening to TVs and music and just drinking. Mm-hmm. It's about the experience of sitting down and really enjoying a little bit of history oh. and understanding where it comes from. So I'd like to take where I I like storytelling and I like talking to people about mm-hmm. where things came from and do that. Mm-hmm. Now, the realist in me says I still have to pay my bills. So mm-hmm. I'll probably be doing tech for at least another year or two, but there's a couple of opportunities locally that I think mm-hmm. I can finally maybe move those around and go into it. But ideally, I'd like to get about 100 acres Mm-hmm. and set it up and do a real, I'd love to do a, a, a true Scottish castle here Aww. in Wisconsin and set it up with the full kale yard and the malt house and everything mm. and then actually have people come out. So the thing that we haven't talked about, <laughs> there's other stuff. Oh, really? wait, there's, there's more. more? <laughs> um, I'm part of the, the Society for Creative Anarchism. And that's okay, called what? It's a Society for <laughs> Creative Anarchism. Um, it's called Ska, and you have different levels. You mm-hmm. have like your Viking version, you have your Roman version, you have your medieval version. So mm-hmm. think of uh, medieval times mm-hmm. or the Ren Fair. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I actually think more Ren Fair or Scarborough up in uh, Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. But there's a group of people all across the U.S. that basically get together and they do reenactments and full fighting. So right now I'm in a group that does both uh, Viking and um, we'll say more medieval as far as that. For real fighting or an acting fighting? So there's a couple levels. <laughs> let's let's clarify. So I is do this a little, like Mortal Kombat. Kind of. <laughs> there's there there is a group that's called Steel that and there's it goes by different names across the U.S. where it is true full plate full blade everything not blunted it's edge to edge. Wow. Yeah, it's just like jousting. Do people die. No, okay. they stop before that happens. But it gets a little bloody. <laughs> Think of it like Fight Club with really sharp knives. Okay. <laughs> um, the the stuff that I do right now is so I teach people different um, different styles of fighting. Mm-hmm. But in this area, a lot of what you see is they'll get into full gear. They'll create mm-hmm. their own armor. They they do historical armor. I've got German and Viking salads that I that mm-hmm. I have for my own gear. Uh, full plate armor that I actually, um, my grandfather was showing me how to do some of the stuff because he had an old forge and I kind of learned how to do the leather and those pieces. Um, but I would love to get about a hundred acres where I could have these groups to get together because mm-hmm. right now in the area, they, they're so spread out mm-hmm. within the Midwest and they don't have one place where they can come. And that's why I like the castle that I looked at right. because it was basically a hundred acres with a castle on it. Like, dude. <laughs> it and I can put the distillery perfect. right there. It would have been perfect. perfect. Um, and it would it it laid out really well. Mm-hmm. It was fairly close. People could have come in. I could have set up a, a place for them to do camping and stuff, which is what they do. Nice. Um, but there's really no area. So I, okay. I think that would be kind of fun. Other people have told me that's a little crazy. And I'm like, really? Is it any crazier than everybody goes up north and they watch people run around in armor one time out of the year versus they can come and do it all times? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see myself in front of a computer much longer. Right. I'm very good at it, but I just don't know if I can do it much longer. I love um, that idea that you're creating though, because 
it's bringing back history, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, you know, in the world today, I think, especially kids, no offense, Joe, have just gotten so far removed from real life, like real in-person things. Mm-hmm. And to have that opportunity, even if they came as spectators, yeah, to experience that would be amazing. Well, think about what we've lost over mm-hmm. the past few years. And and when you look at what's happening now in day, in today's politics mm-hmm. and the way the world is going, and you have technology that is just pushing the boundaries and going faster, 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 history is repeating itself again. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the exact same history that happened no less than 50 to 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. We're going to see this exact same history. I love studying, I hate to say it, but I like to study um, war. Mm-hmm. How did different people handle it through the ages? And when mm-hmm. you go all the way back and you start looking Babylonian age all the way forward and you see how people have laid things out, mm-hmm. you know, it just, you have to pause and really think about it. So versus a video game mm-hmm. where you can sit and you can play this game, I'd rather have people come out and really see how hard it is. Mm-hmm. There was a TV show that they did here in Wisconsin a couple of years ago, and it was called Pioneer Days. And what they did is they took four families and they removed them completely from uh, uh, their day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. and they plunked them in the middle of basically pioneer houses. Mm -hmm. You had to do everything yourself. And I'm thinking, oh, this is never going to work. And it it was tough Mm -hmm. on the family members. But in the end, it was the kids who really didn't want to go back to the modern day and day mm. because the, the the son had basically bonded with the animals that he was taking care of because it was his job to take mm-hmm. care of the animals. Um, it's that piece. I mean, I think I had, I was so lucky growing up mm-hmm. because I was able to do things and really be hands-on. And then my, my dad, he always made me do stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was, okay, your dad, the light switch is broken. Figure it out. How do you fix it? You know, oh, the plumbing's not working. Figure it out. How do you fix it? So, so you're going to work on the castle. Like, how do you have a, a timeline for when you think you'll have that going at this point? Well, the the castle I know is kind of a pipe dream, but uh, that the plan is what I'm going to do is there's three locations I'm looking at to mm-hmm. take over for distilling and mm-hmm. for wine in nice. here at this point. And then for about two to four years, it's going to be growing everything out. So when I when I hand samples out mm-hmm. in the state of Wisconsin, you still have to be licensed. I mm-hmm. am licensed mm-hmm. to make gas. <laughs> <laughs> to make gas? Well, I can do ethanol. <laughs> it's my license. <laughs> and then alcohol just happens to be a byproduct of the ethanol. So Oh, interesting. So I have to get fully licensed in order okay. to do some kind of mass production. In the case of beer and wine, I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I really want to start. I have... I've had enough people tell me that my grandfather's recipes are just really good. Mm. And it's not because it's a special recipe. It's honestly because it's quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And it's very much an old process where you're developing it. Mm -hmm. So I think for the next two to three years, I'm going to get the the distillery stood up, the tap room stood up. And then after that, look at getting that location Mm -hmm. where I can draw people to it. I think the coolest thing I ran across in my travels, it was actually in Washington, D.C. Really? It was Congressional Park. I was out there, and 
I had the opportunity to go into Congressional Park, mm-hmm. and I was told the history of it. The fact that up until like 15, 20 years ago, it was just this overrun. Nobody was taking care of it. Mm-hmm. It was just it, falling apart. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And a local dog group said, how about we take it over? Mm-hmm. We're going to take it over. We'll take care of it. We will fix the headstones. We'll fix mm-hmm. the mainstay, but it will be a dog park. Mm-hmm. So you can still get buried there. People still are being buried mm-hmm. there, but it is a true dog park. Huh, I didn't know that. Did you know that, Joe? Yeah, mm-hmm. I got some really cool pictures when I was wow. there. But um, one of the people buried there is John Philip Sousa. Oh, okay. All of the con- uh, congressmen, most of the co- congressional congress uh, mm-hmm. early on, they're all buried out there. Wow. It's a really neat experience. But mm-hmm. I think the neatest thing for me was to see how these people came in and this there's hundreds of dogs there at Mm -hmm. any given point and it's just immaculate Mm. you would never know that there's a single dog in that park and they have the old mausoleums and you Mm -hmm. walk around the corner and there's this dog pool that they have Mm -hmm. stood up and they have water all over the place Mm -hmm. so people can stop and they've got beautiful trees Mm -hmm. and it's just absolutely gorgeous and it was something that the government was basically going to just bulldoze and remove the bodies because they didn't want to have to pay for it and now it is considered a landmark for them Hmm. yeah i'd like to do something like that here i'd like to find something that is just absolutely decrepit and nobody Mm -hmm. thinks it's worth anything and build it into a location where people can come and learn because it's not just that i want you to come and drink my whiskey and drink my beer I want you to see how the malting process works. Mm. I want to walk you through the malt house. I want mm-hmm. to take you into the summer kitchen mm-hmm. and show you how they used to do the things that they used to do. I want to take you into the smokehouse and show you how to do that. I, I want to make it that family experience. Right. And not just like old world Wisconsin, but right. where you can actually try different histories. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we come from such a hodgepodge. Right. We're, we're not really... Americans as in Americans. We are a hodgepodge of our genealogy. Right. You know, we were talking about melting pot. We are a true melting pot. The only true Americans are the Native Americans. Right. That's a beautiful vision. I mean, I'm hoping that we have some listeners who might know of some spots for you if you haven't found them yet. (laughs) Has to has to have woods. Lots of woods. Hills are good too. (laughs) (laughs) Woods and trails and near people. Mm. That's all we need, right? Yeah. Close enough for people to get there on a day trip, you know, not like way up north. Oh, yeah, that would be a little tough. Yeah. Well, Shannon, I think I could, uh, like always, but especially with you, talk for hours and hours and hours because I have a feeling that we only touched on about 10% of your life story path. Not, not to mention just all the stories. Yeah, there's there's more fun stuff coming. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. So um, if people want to find you and talk with you, what's the best place to find you? Uh, well, another reason I don't sleep is I have my own company. Um, you can find me <laughs> at flexconsulting.net. But um, if any, you can shoot me an email there okay. or um, I can give you my phone and people can reach out and talk to me there. Well, thank you so much for coming and hanging out today. This has been absolutely delightful oh this has been fun we'll do it again it wasn't painful right uh, no not i'm not scared anymore so it's okay. <laughs> good deal well thank you again okay i'm gonna go straight to it i've started this closing dialogue probably five times now and it's just not right so i'm gonna go straight to it so shannon in the midst of all this is on her fourth round of a cancer diagnosis in five years when she talked about her illness that's what's going on And I don't want to define her with that because that's not who she is, but she is a fighter. And what what you 
just can't believe when you get in the presence of her and hear her speak is that this quest that she has isn't something that just started when she became ill. Like, I'm, you know, I might not make it or whatever. I'm going to just do everything. This has been the way she's lived her life every single day. And she still does every single day. In fact, she just messaged me yesterday that she went ahead and purchased her her distillery and winery and that's going to happen so ah so inspiring but what it reminds me is that everything that I want to do the things I'm putting off because I don't have time right now or it's too complicated or whatever it is I just need to do them so one of them is planning the trip to Italy that has to happen I've been wanting to do that probably my whole life and I keep finding reasons not to do it but I do lots of other things so why am I not doing that that's going to happen. The other thing is learning Italian. I mean, there's just so many things that I find reasons not to add them into my schedule, yet at the same time, why not? You know, I mean, I'm, I guess I feel like I'm sort of normal average. I mean, I have times where I shut my brain down. I don't know, watching like complete Netflix binges (laughs) until my eyes bug out of my head, or I don't know, just not really doing things that light me up and I get that people need downtime I totally get that I need that too but there are other ways to do it and it's it's at what cost you know these these minutes well there's an alarm that just went off how do you like that for a reminder of what's going on anyway my point is everybody Shannon's amazing she's doing all the things that excite her and she's an example to the rest of us of going after those dreams and I cannot wait to be one of the first customers at her distillery and winery thanks for listening everyone so are you following your passion inspiring people and willing to share your story then find me because that's what I do And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining.